it's always awkward trying to figure out what to do in the middle of the, the bump video. Um, good morning. My name is Manoj Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here at Jacob's Well. It is my joy and pleasure to welcome you again and then to um, look into God's Word. As uh, Obed said earlier, a little, a little earlier, um, we're in a series that we start at the beginning of every year um, called Faithful to the Core. And the reason that we do that every year is we're a, a people um, who tend to forget. Um, all of us humans are. And so one of the things that we like to do year after year um, as we begin a new year is always go back to what are our core identities, why do we have them there, um, why, do we, why do we believe them, um, and then use that as sort of a springboard for the, for the rest of the ministry year. Our core identities are on these little icons that you see here. So we started out gospel, uh, with a uh, discussion around gospel-centered. Um, Pastor Scott taught about that. Um, we talked about um, life in multi-ethnic community, which is this one. This week we're going to talk for the next few weeks on what it means to be thoughtfully engaged, and then we'll talk about what it means to be joyful and generous in mission, um, and what it means for us to um, joyfully give um, in various areas of life. And so as we, as we enter into that time, um, Pastor Scott talked, if you could put that first slide up, um, talked about the gospel um, and said that the Gospel is the message of Jesus, that he came to this earth, that he died, he was buried, uh, he rose again from the dead. That's the good news, and that informs all the other areas that we have, whether it's seeking justice and mercy, whether it's living in multi-ethnic community, uh, whether it's living joyous and generous lives with, with ourselves uh, and with others, um, and what it means to be thoughtfully engaged. All of that is driven from and comes from what we believe about the gospel, who Jesus was, what he did, and what he calls us to do. Um, if you go to the next slide, one of the things you'll realize, I'm a corporate guy, and so I use a lot of slides. And so um, some, for some of you, that will be in, in, enriching, and for some of you, it will be uh, discouraging, but I'll leave that, um, I'll leave that as it is. Um, the gospel, um, Pastor Tim Keller, who passed away last year, said this about the gospel. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment, for, from sin, for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. So the gospel, as Pastor Scott talked about a few weeks, um, a few weeks ago, is, is the message that we proclaim to others. As we think about what that means for us as believers, um, it's something that we then try and share to others. Last week, we started a discussion around evangelism, and Pastor Scott talked about Matthew 28, where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And he reminded us that Jesus started that conversation with authority, the fact that he has, Jesus has authority over all things, and then he closed that conversation with, I'm with you always. So, God's command, Jesus' command to us to go and share the good news with others is bookended by these two truths, that God has all authority, Jesus has all authority, and secondly, that Jesus' presence is with us wherever we go in sharing the good news. As we continue the second week uh, on this topic of evangelism, I've sort of got three big goals uh, for our conversation here, for our time this morning. One is to set a little bit of background on what we mean by thoughtful engagement. What does it mean to be thoughtfully engaged, and why is that important? 
Secondly, we want to talk about um, two misperceptions that I think we may have about evangelism. And so what is evangelism and what are the, some of the perceptions and misperceptions that we may have about it? And thirdly, to provide some actions, some ideas for us to be thoughtfully engaged in the spheres of influence that God has put each of you in. Before we dive into that, let me pray for us. God, I thank you that your word is true. Um, I thank you that your word, um, as it even says in Hebrews, Lord, that uh, your word is sharper than a double-edged sword, that it pierces into the hearts. And so I pray that even as we share, as we look into your word, as we contemplate things, Lord, I pray that your spirit would do uh, your work in each one of our hearts. I pray that you would transform us uh, in our minds, in our thinking, uh, that you would transform our hearts, that it would be other-centered, Lord, as you are to us. And so I pray that you would do your transforming work through the power of your spirit. We just commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, as we think about this, this topic of evangelism, um, I wanted to turn our attention toward John 17. Um, it's good for us to ask, you know, what did Jesus intend uh, for us as believers? John 17, 15 to 18 says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This is Jesus speaking. Um, probably a few days before he was going to be crucified, he's speaking to his dis disciples. He's praying for them, and as he prays for them, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So one of the things we realize in this passage is that Jesus asks us to hold intention this reality that we are in the world, but not of the world. In the world, but not of the world. Um, and that's something that we have to hold in tension, um, meaning that we can be in the world um, and, and we can be um, separated um, from Jesus. We can be out of the world and be with Jesus, and somewhere in between there, we've got to hold that intention. If you go to the next slide, um, this is, we, we teach this a little bit when we do our gospel and mission class. We talk about what it means uh, for us sometimes to be assimilated into the world and what it means for us to be isolated. So the problem with assimilation is that the message gets diluted. Our message of who Jesus is in our lives gets diluted. We have radical identification with what the world says, but we lose our message. We have a great understanding of what's happening in culture and society around us. Um, John Mark Homer in his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Murray, Hurry, says that we live in a consumeristic society where this, the gods that we serve are accumulation and accomplishment. So we can be on that one side. We're, we're assimilated into the culture of the world. We're being discipled by the truths that the world tells us are true. And the problem with assimilation is that the temptation is to become so one with the culture that there's nothing distinct about us. There's nothing distinct about our Christianity. There's nothing distinct about who Jesus is in our lives. On this side of the spectrum, we lose the essence of the gospel. We lose our message. This doesn't happen overnight. Um, Psalm 1 is a great picture of what this looks like. Psalm 1.1, the first uh, verse of Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, or stands in the way of sinners, or sits in the seat of scoffers. When we are assimilated, the process of assimilation often starts with walking in the counsel of the wicked. Our thinking is influenced. 
We stand with sinners. Our lifestyle is influenced. And then we sit with scoffers making fun of godly values. Our thoughts, our ideas, our values are influenced. What's the result? We're engaged but no longer thoughtful. We've become ineffective. On the other side of the spectrum is radical difference, isolation many times. Jesus has called us radically to, to himself and gives us a new identity. He says that we're new creatures, we're new creations. But you know what? We can nullify Jesus' message by sitting and hanging out in our holy huddles. The danger is we can become ineffective in engaging with the culture because we're so removed from it. What's the result if we're in isolation? We're very thoughtful, but we're not engaged. See the difference? We're, on one side, we're thoughtless many times, but we're engaged with the culture. On the other side, we can be thoughtless we can be very thoughtful, but not engage with the culture. We become ineffective. So that's why Jesus in John 17, when he says, I want them to be in the world, but not of the world, we have to hold both of these in tension. We have to determine in our own hearts and through God's spirit what it means for us to be thoughtful with what the culture is doing in and around us, and yet be engaged in that culture with the transforming power of the gospel. In between these is a word um, two words, actually. Redemptive influence is what God calls us to. What does it mean to redeem what God has put in place in this world? Redeem creation, redeem where there is injustice. How do we help God and be part of his plan to redeem the world to himself? Um, Hebrews 2.9 says, we're a chosen people who've been set apart and cleansed by Jesus's blood. We're royal priests from another kingdom. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be a people that brings the kingdom of God from heaven to earth. That's what we're called to do to redeem the places where you are. That could be your dorm room. It could be your classroom. It could be your place of work. It could be your home. It could be the neighborhood that you're in. But God calls us into whatever sphere of influence that you're in that you have redemptive capabilities. You've got redemptive power through his spirit and to influence that sphere of, of, of place where he's put you. Jesus is our example. He became incarnate. He, he who had no sin became sin for us. He didn't lose the essence of who he was as God. He was full of grace and truth. And so we see we can, pull, we can be pulled in one of these two extremes. What John calls us to, what Jesus calls us to, is that we would be in the world, but not of it. Be relevant, not assimilated, but relevant to the world. Not isolated, but again, relevant and redemptive in the influence that we have, in the spheres of influence that God has placed you. So that's assimilation and isolation. It's one of the things, as we think about thoughtful engagement, that's one of the things that we have to be aware of, is how do we hold these intention? Uh, here's a summary I put together a couple of years ago. Um, if you go to the next slide, Tim, um, that talks about, I'm, I'm a corporate guy again, I apologize, but like there's two by two grids in almost every consulting organization that, you, that corporations use. Um, so I said, hey, let's take a look at what does it mean to be thoughtful and engaged and put it on a two by two grid. Um, if you see in the gray area, we can be thoughtless and disengaged. And oftentimes that's just distraction. That's 
flipping through TikTok, doing whatever you're doing, watching YouTube and, and going on a, you know, a, a long, deep YouTube um, dive. Um, and I'm not saying that those are wrong in, <laughs> necessarily. I'm just saying that we can be thoughtless and we can be very disengaged and we can be distracted from what God's doing in our lives and the influential places that God has placed us. Uh, perhaps a little worse is that we can be thoughtlessly engaged. So these are, these are situations that perhaps you found yourself in, I found myself in, where I, I said something that I shouldn't have said. Um, I was thoughtless, but I was really engaged. I, re I really cared about what I was talking about, but I was thoughtless in the audience that I was speaking to, in the individual that I was conversing with. And what that often leads to is um, hurt. Um, many times it can be um, irresponsible of us to be thoughtless and engaged. And perhaps you've come across people like that. Um, on the other side, you can have people who are um, very thoughtful but disengaged. Right? These are oftentimes um, what, what I describe here as, as people who are cautious or discerning. And sometimes there's a point, there's a time and a space to be um, thoughtful and say, hey, I'm not going to engage right now because that conversation, that topic, that situation is not going to be beneficial for me to share a particular insight or a particular opinion. And so maybe there's an opportunity there for us to be uh, thoughtful but disengaged from a conversation. Um, and then there are times that we, God calls us to this redemptive influence where we want to be thoughtful and we want to be engaged, taking the truth of the gospel that we have and engaging it into the cultural environments that God puts us in. So thoughtful engagement is what God calls us to. You know, sometimes I, I was thinking to myself, you know, many times I'm thoughtlessly engaged when I'm in the ready, fire, aim mode, right? It normally, it should be ready, aim, fire, and sometimes I'm, I'm a little bit too fast, and it's ready, fire, and then you, you, you realize, ooh, that was probably not the best thing to say at that particular time. So be thoughtful, be engaged in, in the places that God has put you. Then, if you go to the next slide, um, these are three motions that we see within the Gospels, these three movements that God calls us to. One is upward, to be connected with God. This comes from Matthew, Mark chapter 12, and, and those of you who've been around church for a while probably have heard this. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you shall love the neighbor as yourself, your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than, he, than these. Um, as we think about what it means to share our, the good news with others, we have to have a connection with God. Our relationship with God is a movement that we have to have some discipline in. Here at Jacob's Well, we talk a lot about daily office, an ability and set-apart time when you can um, connect with God. Maybe that's for a few minutes, maybe that's for a longer period of time. But it's a discipline, it's a rhythm that we want to engage in and, and create a habit around. The second movement is an inward movement. Jesus calls us, and especially through the New Testament, uh, there are over 100 passages that talk about one another, what it means to love one another. John 13, 35 says this, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by what? By this, the love that you have for one another, people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So God calls us to love one another. And out of the hundred passages or so in Scripture that talk about this one anothering, 
A third of them deal with unity, so being aligned with one another. A third of them instruct us to love one another. And the last third of them are called, where we're called to live in community with one another. Not necessarily uh, loving, but also sharing one another's burdens, caring for one another, rebuking one another, encouraging one another. There are so many of those passages. Here at Jacob's Will, we're called to live in multi-ethnic community and love one another well. And how can you do that? Well, there's a number of ways. You can come to our community meals and, and have a chance to connect. Join one of our care groups. Uh, join in on our Wednesday night discipleship courses. These are safe spaces where we learn where we learn how to love one another with all of the differences and distinctiveness that are in this room. And then this third movement is the movement that we'll spend a little bit more time talking about, which is this outward movement. So one was an upward movement, connection with God. A second one is an inward movement to love one another in community. And this third movement is where Jesus says, go into all the world, proclaim the gospel in, chapter, in Mark. And then in Matthew 28, go and make disciples baptize them and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So we're a sent people. We don't just sit in a holy huddle. We're sent. We're sent into the spheres of influence that each of you uniquely have. You don't have the same sphere of influence that I have, and I don't have the same sphere of influence that you have. The relationships that each of you have and in the lives that you touch are distinctly different from the person sitting next to you. And so God calls us into this this movement of being sent, sent into the world. And these sending commands that God tells us, or Jesus told his disciples in Mark and, and Matthew there, um, they weren't suggestions. They were commands. Go, proclaim, make disciples. And each one of these movements takes more risk than the other. To have a daily connection with God is a, oftentimes a private activity. To live in community means that we'll inevitably be misunderstood. There'll be disagreement and conflict. You may have to wrestle with and discuss topics that may be uncomfortable because of your ethnic background, because of your upbringing, because of the diversity that you have within you, or the beliefs and biases that we've learned from our families or from our upbringing that differ from someone else's. So learning to live in community will change us. It'll challenge us to address the barriers that stop us from loving someone else the way that Jesus does. This outward movement is even riskier. To go out into the world and tell others about Jesus requires more risk. What will people say? What will they think about me? They're going to label me with those other Christians. There's always a cost to that outward movement, to love others the way that Jesus asks us to. So as we think about thoughtful engagement, the reasons why it's important is that we need to live in this tension of being in the world, but not of the world. And then we need to think about what does it mean for us to have connection with God, to have connection with others who are believers, and then to believe that we're a sent people that have the responsibility of being ambassadors, as Pastor Scott talked about last week. Now I want to turn our attention to sort of two misperceptions or perspectives that we may have about evangelism. The first is this um, misperception that we're all evangelists. Tim, if you go to the next slide. Um, as I was preparing for this, I asked Scott, I said, um, hey, is there a book that you'd recommend? And so he recommended this book by John Dixon. Um, and, and then uh, there was a book that I read last year called um, 
being a blessing and, and uh, surprising the world. Both of these authors um, talk about the fact that there are certain people that God has gifted with evangelism. And so oftentimes we think that, oh my gosh, I've got I've to have the gift of evangelism and I've got to convert people to Jesus. That was never Jesus' intention. Um, there are people who have the gift of evangelism and they have the unique gift of being able to proclaim the gospel in a bold way and also to defend the gospel. Both of these authors also mentioned the fact that, hey, there are the, the call to evangelism, to go, the call to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel to others is one that's for all of us, all of us who are believers. We have the responsibility to do that. And they make the distinction, he, they, both of them make this distinction of what does it mean to proclaim the gospel and what does it mean to promote the gospel. All of us can promote the gospel in various ways. And so some of them are listed there. We can pray. Um, our godly behavior can be something that people notice in our workplace or in our school environments. We can have daily conversations or regular conversations with people about regular tasks, regular things that are going on at work or school. Friendships can be an area where we can, we can share the gospel. Financial support of gospel workers, acts of service to others, hospitality, and then gracious answers. You know, God equips each of us with certain gifts. To some people, he gives the gift of evangelism. To all of us, he gives the responsibility and the command to go and proclaim the gospel by promoting it in various areas of life. And for all of us, that's going to look different. For each of us, that's going to look different. For some of us, uh, there's going to be a boldness that God has given you. And you perhaps will have a little bit more courage to be able to speak the truth. Um, for others of us, it may be inviting someone to a church gathering or to a discipleship course or to one of our Alpha courses when it launches. Um, it might be inviting somebody to a Welteens hangout. Right? All of these are areas where we can take our responsibility of what does it mean to be a sent people and say, how do I promote the gospel? St. Francis of Assisi um, is, is, um, is, is identified as saying this quote, um, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Many times we forget the fact that our lives, our attitudes, the way that we interact with one another preaches a whole lot more about who we are, about what Jesus has done in our lives, than whatever words we may share with someone. So think about what your life and conduct looks like as you think about those areas of promoting the gospel. What does my life and conduct look like? Uh, would people be able to know that there's something different about me? Would I, am I living a questioning life where people ask, hmm, I wonder what, why he said that. I wonder why she believes that. And so if there are areas like that in your life, those become areas for you to have a deeper conversation with an individual. This, if you go to the next uh, slide, this was from um, one of the authors. He says, this twofold approach literally transformed the Roman Empire. While evangelists and apologists such as Peter and Paul were proclaiming the gospel and defending its integrity in an era of polytheism and pagan superstition, hundreds of thousands of ordinary believers were infiltrating every part of society and living the kind of questionable lives that evoked curiosity about the Christian message. 
These ordinary believers devoted themselves to sacrificial acts of kindness. They loved their enemies and forgave their persecutors. They cared for the poor and fed the hungry. In the brutality of life under Roman rule, they were the most stunningly different people anyone had ever seen. In the book of Acts, it says that uh, the, the Christians were first called, uh, sorry, the, the disciples or the people who followed Jesus were first called Christians in Antioch. And it says that they were turning the world upside down in one translation. Um, most of these people were uneducated, the early disciples and followers of Jesus. They turned the world upside down because of the proclamation of the gospel through their words and more oftentimes through their actions, how they served their neighbors, how they served the marginalized of society. And as a church, we're, we're learning to try and do that. We're learning to serve, uh, whether it's through Elijah's Promise or Young Lives or other ministries, we're learning to, to, to figure out what does it mean for us to care for and serve the community that God has placed us in. Gifted evangelists can proclaim and defend the gospel with clarity and courage. Not many of us may be gifted evangelists. The rest of us need to promote the gospel through our words and actions in daily life. Now, why is this so hard? Um, this comes to the second misperception that we may have. If you go to the next slide. Uh, this is a little bit busy, these next two slides, so I apologize in advance. We can think that evangelism is a project. Have you ever been a project? Feel like somebody's got a particular um, thing they want to convince you of? Nobody likes to be a project, right? Um, and so many times we, we treat evangelism as if it's a project, that it's, you know, the picture here is, you know, I, I'm a believer on the bottom there, I've got a friend, um, and it's my job, it's my job to get them from where they are all the way to a point of decision. And that's like a one-time thing. Like, I've got to get them to that point of decision. And you know what that creates? Fear. It creates fear. It, it, because the risk is often too high. These are my friends. And what are they going to say about me? I've got to help them understand what this thing is called the gospel. I've got to help them um, think about all the questions and answer all the questions that I don't have any answers for. Um, I've got to get them to a point of decision. And it can feel overwhelming and fearful. And so what do we typically do? We say, yeah, that, that's way too hard. I, I can't get them from where they are over here at, let's say, minus 10 all the way over to this side and convince them because I, I don't know the answers. And you know what? I don't want to be seen as one of those weirdo Christians um, who's, who's thumping their beliefs on, on me. And so we often retreat. Jim Peterson, uh, in a book that, that I read for the series, um, it's an old book, it's, it's from 20 years ago when I fresh read it called Living Proof, he says this, few Christians have meaningful relationships with non-believers. It has been observed that the average Christian has no non-Christian friends after he or she has been a believer for two years. Our contact is then limited to casual acquaintances. And his challenge was we need to relearn how to build relationships with, with people outside of our normal circle of Christian involvement. If, it's, if I've got to take someone from 
not, not even understanding who Jesus is, not understanding whether there is a God, and I've got to convince them of all those things, it's a daunting task that God doesn't ask us to do that. The risk is too high. We go back to our huddles and our safe places. If you go to the next slide, 2 Corinthians 4 gives us this. This is what um, Nicole read earlier. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, this ministry that we have that Paul is talking about, Paul was one of the early apostles. He was one of the, uh, the early Christians, and he was sent to, to preach the, the gospel of Jesus to a non-Jewish audience. And he says this ministry is from the mercy of God. It's what God has already done in him. That's where his ministry comes from. And he says because of that, we don't lose heart. We've renounced disgraceful, disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. So this is basically saying, hey, I'm not going to deceive people into understanding who Jesus is. But rather, he says, by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he goes on to talk about if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We have to realize that as we interact with people who don't know Jesus, there is a force. There is, uh, the Bible is very clear about this, that there is the prince of this age has blinded people's eyes. They don't see the truth of who Jesus is. And so our job is not to convince them. Our job is, some of the other translations use this word. This particular translation says the open statement of truth in verse 2. Other translations say we, we set forth the truth plainly. Uh, we, we openly proclaim the truth. Our job is not to convince people. Our job is to set forth the truth plainly. Um, early in uh, our years in collegiate ministry, um, there was this, uh, the couple that discipled us. It said, you know, when, when you share the gospel, you have to op hold it with an open hand. You don't have to convince people. You have to set forth the truth plainly. And many times that's just exploring and sharing what your own story was, your own faith journey. How did God take you from where you were in the past to where you are now? How has God deepened your understanding of him? How has that deepening and understanding of Jesus transformed your lives? That's one way to share the truth openly you don't have to convince anybody. You have to just tell them, this is what Jesus did in my life. What we are proclaiming is not ourselves. It's the fact that Jesus is the Lord. Now, we carry this treasure, this message that, this message that Jesus is Lord in our broken and sinful bodies. Why? The Apostle Paul tells us in that last verse. So that when someone comes to faith, we know that it's God doing the work through us. It's not ourselves. The message is not ourselves. The message is who Jesus is. We set that forth plainly, as plainly as we can. And then we remember that the work of transformation of the heart is not a human work. It's not my work. It's not your work. The transformation of a human heart is God's work. We get to participate in that. By what? By setting forth the truth plainly, as best as we can. The point is that evangelism is probably not a project. It's not us taking someone from a lack of faith and convincing them, arguing with them, um, debating with them, and somehow getting them to a point of, oh yeah, now I believe that Jesus is true. So if it isn't a project, what is it? I'd like to submit to you um, 
if you go to the next slide, Tim, um, again from this book, Living Proof, that evangelism is a process. Again, a little busy slide, but I'll try and walk through it. Um, we don't do the work of salvation. We oftentimes forget that the Holy Spirit has been pursuing people's lives. God cares about your friends, your colleagues, your classmates, your roommates, your soccer friends, whatever they are, right? Volleyball friends, cheerleading friends. God cares about those individuals far more than you do. He's, he's died for them already. And so many times we forget that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's lives. Sometimes he calls them to himself and it's a radical transformation and you don't need a hundred different proofs. Sometimes it's a journey of decades. But we have to remember that the work of salvation is God's work, not our work. We partner with God's Holy Spirit in that. Secondly, we're not alone. Oftentimes we think this is a Lone Ranger job, that I've got to convince person X to believe Jesus. That's, that's just so not true. We've got a community of believers here at Jacob's Well. We've got a community of believers um, out there in the world, other churches, other denominations. Um, we live in a world where content is available for almost any question that you may have. Um, you know, I, I used to think there's, there was a day before Google where you would have to go to an encyclopedia, this book that, that you'd have to go to that had all of the world's knowledge, and it was usually in 12 or 15 volumes. Now we've got the answers for everything that we want with uh, a word to Alexa or Siri or Google or whatever. Um, even though we have all those answers, people's hearts still need to be transformed, and that transformation only happens through Jesus. And you know what? God sometimes orchestrates circumstances in people's lives that cause them to have some deeper convictions, some deeper questions, some deeper, um, deeper soul-searching on who they are, why they're here. We just went through that as, as a, a global society through the pandemic. People have been asking lots more questions. There's a softness in people's souls coming out of the pandemic. Well, there's probably two, th there's certain people whose hearts have gotten much harder, and there's a lot of people whose hearts have gotten softer because they're asking the bigger questions of life because they've been faced with death, um, either directly or in the, in the society around us. And so we have to be aware of that as individuals, that uh, circumstances can be one of the ways that God uses to transform people's lives. And then there's these three things at the top. Some people may not have a concept of God. Here are some questions that I've experienced as I've had conversations. Does God exist? Is there one or are there many gods? Is God real or is he imaginary? Is God man-made? Is God interested in human beings or is he a distant God? Does he really love? If God loved us so much, where did evil come from? Has anyone ever seen God? Like, those are hard questions to answer, right? Um, we many times think that people's um, understanding of who Jesus is is going to be a, like a decision like that. Um, that's often not the case. We've got to get them to think about, is there a God? Who is he? Is he knowable? Is he not knowable? And then what about this thing called the Bible, this book that Christianity is based on? What is it? How is it different from other books like the Quran or the Vedas or the Talmud? What does the Bible have to do with God? Who wrote it? Is the Bible true? Why should I trust a 2,000-year-old book? And then there's this person of Jesus that's in the Bible. Who was he? Was he real? Did he really exist? Is Jesus really God? 
Oh, so he's one of the gods. How is he different than Buddha or Shiva or Muhammad or the Dalai Lama? These are legitimate questions that people will ask as we start engaging with them in conversations. We don't have to have the answers for all of those, but we can't assume that it's our job to get them from answer all those thousands of questions to get them from where they are to a decision about who Jesus is. We have to call, we have to realize that there may be what I called here hundreds of micro decisions. It's often not a single decision. And oftentimes, you may not be the one that has to answer all of those questions. If we, if we believe that evangelism is a project, then it's our job to get them from point A to point B. If we believe that evangelism is a process, then, then my job isn't to convince them to come to know Jesus. My job is to convince them in the next step in their spiritual journey. Answer a couple of questions for them. Be relevant, when, be relevant and real and present when something goes on in their life. Demonstrate what love looks like from a Christian to someone else. Let them experience a little bit of God's love, and that may help them on their journey. Do you see how this view of evangelism is completely different than the project view of evangelism? It takes a lot of the burden off of us having to um, convert somebody. As I said before, it's not our job to convert. Jesus and the Holy Spirit are the ones who convert, are the ones who create transformation in people's lives. I want to share two stories. Um, one is a, a friend of mine named Tao. Um, he and I went to college together at a little engineering mill called Stevens in Hoboken. Tao and I, were, Tao and, I and, and a number of us were commuters. Um, we commuted to school. We stayed in the commuter lounge. We talked about lots of things um, in addition to all of our studying. Um, we spent four years together in undergrad. Um, he went away to work for government. Um, I went away to work for corporate America. Um, we stayed connected. Um, and through the years, as our kids were growing up, we'd connect probably with, with him and our, our little group um, probably once every year, maybe, maybe twice a year at most. Somewhere along the journey, I found out that Tao became a Christian. Um, and we were like, that's awesome. Uh, you know, because uh, we had talked about many things in, in the commuter lounge and other places. In 2022, uh, I went down to visit him in, in Maryland. Um, and so this is 30 years, a little after 30 years after I had graduated from college. Um, I found out that his first encounters with who Jesus was, of who this personal God was, was some of those conversations in the commuter lounge. Um, I found out that when he came to our wedding, um, that some of the scriptures that we read during our wedding were some of the first times that he'd heard scripture. 30 years, I had no idea that my, my words in a commuter lounge had an impact on his life. Um, I share that with you to, to, to help you realize that sometimes our words are just one step, one little one of those little micro decisions that help somebody on their journey. We may never get credit for it, as if God needs our credit or as if we need credit, right? But like, we may never get the satisfaction of knowing what your word says in the right time, in the right place, to a person that's hurting, uh, to a person that's got questions. We often underestimate the reality and the value of those words and those experiences. If evangelism is a process, sorry, if Tao was a project, I was a complete failure in sharing my 
of who Jesus was in those commuter lounges. If evangelism is a process, then God used my few conversations and then combined it with a host of others and a host of other circumstances that took place in his life in Virginia and DC and other places to draw Tao to himself. We were part of a process. Let me share another example with you. Um, I went and did my executive MBA um, from 2012 to 2014. Met a bunch of, of guys that we've, we still hang out together. Our, our families have gotten close. Um, these eight families are non-believers. They're, they're Hindus. We're the only Christian uh, couple there. Um, and every time we would have them over to our house, I'd always pray um, before we eat. Um, and then three times, one time one of the, 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 the kids, the teenagers asked, hey, did you, um, did you memorize that speech? Right? Because they'd never heard somebody praying before eating. Right? Did you memorize that speech? And it crossed my mind that their view of God is not a God that's approachable, that I can have a conversation with a God. Their view of God, and, and this, is no, this is not casting shade on other belief systems, different belief systems have different views of who God is and what that God does and whether that God's approachable. Their view of God is an un, unapproachable God. You go to a priest, you, you provide a donation, and that priest on your behalf says something to a god, to an idol, to a deity. And you never know if there's an answer that, that's coming. Did you memorize that speech? Um, the, the second thing, um, I had one person ask me, hey, you, you prayed for somebody because they, they were going on a trip or something. This happened in, in January of this year. Um, and he said, why did you go and pray that God would prepare their journey? I said, well, I believe that God in, sort of cares about us, like, like he cares. I'm praying that God would help their journey to be successful, that God's actually interested in my life, not just that I'm approachable and I can talk to God, but that, that he's somebody that cares about the intricacies of my life. If I'm traveling somewhere or if I've got something that's on my heart or a burden, that God actually cares about that. That's a different view of God than some of these people have been exposed to. I wonder in this audience here, right, how many of your friends have a view of God that's a God that's unapproachable? How many of your friends have a view of God that, yeah, he's, he's out there somewhere. He's not interested in me. He's not interested in my cold or my sniffles. He's not interested in, in the, the hurt that's in my heart because somebody has perpetrated that against me. He's not interested in the hurt that I've caused someone else. How many of us have friends like that? The reality is that um, when we started working with Hindus up in, in North Jersey, we, we met a, a missionary in, that's been working in Jersey City for decades, and he said, in, in the Hindu mind, um, that journey from where they are to the cross can be decades because culture is so intertwined with what they believe about their gods. And the first step is to help them understand that God is a personal God that God cares about individuals. Secondly, that God is, is one of many. They've got 33 million plus gods. That Jesus and God are like one of those. And that at some point along that journey, that maybe Jesus is above all these other gods. That maybe, as, as we sang earlier, that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That journey of faith may take minutes, it may take decades. And I want to challenge us to think about, are, are we willing to invest the time in our friendships? 
playing the long game, thinking about how do we, how do we share the truth of the gospel with those who are far from Jesus and not expect transformation that will happen at a snap of a finger. Now, we were in India two years ago um, on, on a missions trip with a bunch of students, and we heard stories from missionaries in these villages where people's lives transformed immediately. They, they saw visions of, I don't understand, they saw visions of Jesus. When an evangelist went to their village, the whole village became believers. Um, I'm not saying that it's going to take decades. God's Spirit does what God's Spirit does. And for some people, that may mean minutes, that may mean hours. For some, it may mean days, weeks, months, years. I just want to challenge us to think about the fact that God calls us to share the truth of who he is with others and that we have to play the long game with our friends. So first, make some friends if you don't have any who are non-believers, and then and be available. God doesn't call us and grade us on results. And, and from a person who's come from a corporate mindset, you know, performance is always on the back of my head, and I've had to try to unlearn that. Um, God doesn't grade us on performance. He doesn't grade us on results. God grades us on availability and faithfulness. Are we available to where we can be used? Do we make ourselves available to be used by God? And then secondly, are we faithful? Are we faithful with the little that we've been given um, for what he might purpose? If you go to the next slide there, Tim. Um, mission is more, and more than and different from recruitment to our brand of religion. It's alerting of people to the universal reign of God through Christ. Mission is both the announcement and the demonstration of the reign of God through Christ. If our only habits as Christians are going to church and attending meetings, they're not going to connect with us. They're not going to connect us with unbelievers, nor invite their curiosity about our faith. That is why those of us who are not gifted evangelists need to foster habits in our lives that draw us out into the lives of unbelievers. We need to foster habits. And that's what I want to close on is we, we talked about the, the why, we talked about the what, some of these misperceptions, um, and perhaps a new model for us to think about what it means to share our faith. Um, I want to turn our attention to how do we do that. Tim, if you can go to the next, skip the, 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 the next slide. And just, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, in the interest of time, it will take courage to step out of our comfort zones. We're, it's very easy to sit in comfort and say, yeah, a little too risky, um, not worth the effort because I may hurt my relationship. So it'll take courage. And these are some suggestions. Would you be willing to pray for others as you think about your friends? Um, what does it look like to pray for them? Um, what does it look like to walk through your dorm or your neighborhood or your apartment building or your office building? And look at the names on the, that are, if you know your, the, the names on the, on the folks on, in your dorm or the names of the offices that you're walking through or the names of your neighbors. Maybe pray for them. Ask God's Holy Spirit to guide you. Be curious about others. Um, curiosity is one of these things. We have to genuinely be curious about other people. Um, Pastor Scott mentioned last week that we live in Middlesex County. I think he said one of the fourth most integrated, diverse uh, regions of the country. The world is here. The world is here. We don't have to go to the world. The world is here. Be curious about others, uh, others' cultures, their backgrounds, their cuisines. 
We've got all kinds of grocery stores, right? Have you ever walked into an ethnic grocery store to see what the smells are like, to smell what the smells are like, to see what different languages look like? We have such an opportunity in this area um, to experience that. You know why? Be and this is not in, I didn't put this in here, but um, Revelation chapter 7 says that it, the end of the age, the end of the story of humanity is when there will be people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language group praising God in unity with one voice. They're probably going to look different because obviously John saw something there in Revelation that looked, that could distinguish the fact that they were from different cultures and tribes and nations. Um, be curious about the people around us. Bless others. Um, these could be words of affirmation. Maybe you've got some friends. You can text them, um, email them, whatever. Uh, share acts of kindness, gifts of appreciation. Uh, these seem kind of obvious, right? We can bless other people with the resources that God's given with us. I love this one. I love cuisine. I love to eat. Well, one of my uh, resolutions this year is to make a new, uh, I've never had Nigerian food. I've never had uh, food from Tunisia. So I've got, I've got a plan this year for making 12 dishes from 12 different countries that I've never tried before. I'm not telling you you should do that. I love food. Uh, but I'm saying that eating with others is one of the areas where we get to experience who they are. We get to have conversation over a table um, while enjoying food. So think about that, you know, where you go to eat, and what does it mean to practice hospitality? What does it mean to, to share your dinner table um, or your cafeteria table with someone else who doesn't know Jesus? And then graciously answer if and when an opportunity arises. And last but not least, uh, we're going to be launching an alpha course. Um, we're going to have some training during the course of uh, the spring here. Um, Rachel and Tony are helping to lead that. Um, maybe you've got some friends that have got some deep questions that are at the precipice there um, that need some answers. How can we create a safe space for them to come and ask those questions? How can we be loving to them to say that, hey, it's okay to have questions. All of us have questions about life. We've got some answers about who Jesus is. Um, I'd invite the band to come back up as I'd like you to take two minutes to think about this list. I realize there's a lot of words on that slide. Um, think about the, the people in your life, perhaps people that you've not connected with in a while, um, perhaps people from your childhood, from your office, um, from your classroom, from your dorm room, from your sports team, um, wherever God has placed you. Think about some people. Which names come to mind? And as those names pop into your head, I'd ask you to think about um, some of the items here. How can you bless them? How can you have a conversation with them? What would it look like to eat with them a meal? Um, so take two minutes um, and think about that. And I'll let you guys... Um, Play some music here, but I'd like, I'd like you to think and take a, a moment to reflect. Oftentimes, um, we hear a message, and we don't take the time to pause. So let's take two minutes to, to pause.
Father God in heaven, thank you for your goodness in our lives. Thank you for the way that you have transformed our hearts. Um, for those that are sitting here who may not know you, I pray that you would work in their hearts. For those of us who know you, I pray that you would rekindle um, a spark, rekindle a fire within our hearts, Lord. For those in our communities, for those in our um, classrooms and office rooms, for those on our sports teams, for those in our neighborhoods and our homes who don't know you, would you rekindle uh, a passion to share your truth, your relevance in their lives? pray that you would help us to do that with grace and with truth, the way that you demonstrated to us. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.